This podcast is brought to you by Airbyte, the product and growth studio available at startup prices. If you're struggling with designing, building, or growing your vision, Airbyte may be the perfect partner. Learn more at airbyte.co.uk. Airbyte, building digital products with growth in mind. I really do believe that if you are going to go on this journey, you genuinely can't go on it alone. Like I, I'm such a big believer in business partners. Entrepreneurship is more of a team game than a solo game. And if you believe, if you think you can do it by yourself, you will be hit. You will at some point hit up against a, a brick wall, and you won't find a way around it. From Airbyte, this is Growth in Mind, a podcast about the stories behind the high-growth startups and small businesses that are starting to make waves in the world. I, James Farnfield speak with the founders and entrepreneurs about their personal and professional lives and how they intertwine to lead to building successful businesses today and how growth has been a part of who they are or who they have become. On today's episode, how Peter Watson, an entrepreneur, public speaker and investor, turned a side hustle whilst at university to a seven-figure award-winning advertising agency, today known as Distract. At 17, Peter Watson was working at Halfords in a part-time job trying to raise enough cash to buy a car. By the time he went to university, just a couple of years later, he had more self-earned cash in his back pocket than pretty much everyone at 19 years of age. Although a self-confessed hard worker, this is not from his day job at Halfords. Peter was searching the internet as most were in their late teens, and research found that a seven-year-old was making millions from their YouTube channel. And with one simple thought, he started the journey towards growing his career. The thought was, I can do that. So he started doing what he knew, which was changing car radios. From his time at Halfords, he knew what he was doing. And by the time he was 18, he had built 15 to 20,000 views per day on his channel and over 150 videos. As brands started to take notice and approach Peter, he realized, why don't I try and make some money? So he started his own business selling car audio solutions. What Peter had stumbled on without realizing it, was influencer marketing. Born in the 1990s from Stoke-on-Trent, Peter was accustomed to being forced to bow through ups and downs from an early age. Age seven, Peter's mum passed away and his dad, a head teacher, decided the best for the family was a complete reset. Peter then moved to Cambridge with his brother and father and saw firsthand the tribulations of the startup world. Yeah, so my dad's um was uh, as a, like a teacher, head teacher, and uh, Stoke-on-Trent, where I grew up, uh, is a is a very rough place. Like it's not a it's not a great place to be. Um, so he used to go into schools that were failing, like Ofsted, or had like you know trouble in towns or whatever, and he'd go in and he he'd turn them around. Um, and that that's kind of what he did. So it was it was quite. I mean, teaching is probably like the if you're a teacher and you've got good background and good pedigree, like it's very easy for you to get a job. Like you're not going to struggle. Um, so when we moved from Stoke to Cambridge, we just moved closer to his sister and my auntie, um, because when well, once someone so significant in your life dies, you know, you know, what do you do? You just go back to family, right? You just go running home, running to your loved ones. So we went to Cambridge, and my dad, um, my dad went and, and was his head teacher and um, just started kind of doing his own thing. And he said to me that he decided when. Um, when he started out in this journey, that if he ever got too stressed, if he ever got up, you know uptight or whatever, then he would just throw the towel in. Um, and he said to me, basically, you know, after, after a long time, he said to me, basically, he got to a point where he was so stressed at work that he just threw the towel in. Like he was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. 
um, the curriculum's gone crap, like the 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 offset inspectors, blah, 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 I'm out. And he went out and he um, went to um, work in, in football and he went to become a, be a football agent. And um, I don't need to tell you the ins and outs of football agency because everyone knows what football agency is. It's probably one of the most corrupt, genuinely speaking, one of the most corrupt uh, aspects of business you'll ever see. Uh, and unless you're in the corruption game, I don't genuinely, I mean, this is not fact. I just don't believe you can make it in that, in that sport. Um, so what we decided to do was rather than go out and try and find the great players, we would go out and we'd go and hunt for them. So we created a business called Scout Me Out, which was a scouting network for football players. So we'd go out, we'd try and find the players. And if we found a good one, we'd sign them up to the agency and then we'd promote them to the, to the clubs, right? Um, and the reality was is that the business wasn't built on sound financial predictions. Like it just wasn't ever going to stack up once you start paying coaches and grounds and stuff. You really had to make one of those moves, and it just didn't didn't work. And my dad went burnt through literally all of his savings. Like he went from you know a decent chunk of savings to literally nothing, um, and he had to go back and be a teacher. Uh, and he hated it. He hated being a teacher in, in the modern world. He just didn't like it. So he literally had to go and be a teacher. And we, um, I don't know if you'll like me saying this, but I'll say it anyway. We genuinely were going to like I was probably like let's say uh, seventeen at the time, eighteen at the time. We were generally at Tesco's and like his car would just be declined. Like he'd be like, I remember one real clear moment. We were at Tesco's and like he would go and he would pay for it. And they were like, oh, your, your car's not working, sir. He's like, oh, let me go to the cash point and, and get some cash out. I'll come back in. And we went to the cash point and we just got in the car and drove home. And I thought, like, where are we going? The cash point's out there. He's like, Pete, there's no money in that account. Like, so we, we genuinely went from, you know, being in a reasonable position where he had a great job to him leaving because of health reasons. And absolutely, that's what you should do. If you ever are in a situation where your health is, is compromised, you should obviously stop. Your health is the most important thing to, to literally car being declined. And I remember, you know, bills getting read on the table. And he even to this day now, he's like, I don't pay a bill unless they're threatening me with legal action. Like, I mean, he just delays everything, even though he's, he's good now. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, that that relationship was. You know, there was always bits where we would have an argument every now and again. But, you know, when you are that financially concerned or worried, you're always going to have arguments like, you know, financial strain is a real thing. But um, he even to this day now, now he's good. He's, he's sold his house. He's moved closer to me. You know, he's freed up cash, et cetera. He's good. He, you know, even to this day, he genuinely says to me, like, although I burnt through all my savings, I'm so happy that I did that business with you. And my, I've got a brother called Stevie with you and Stevie. Because it brought us so much closer because we would work on the business together. It obviously started my career off in business and marketing. So, so he's even to day, like, I'm glad I went through that shit. I'm glad I, I went through it with you boys because it, A, made me spend more time with you because every every evening he'd work with me on it, you know, or every weekend we'd do something together. I mean, like, he's happy for that. And I, I genuinely believe it was one of the best bonding experiences. But yeah, he burnt through his savings completely. Um, and then like three years ago, you know, he still wasn't amazingly financially good. And I said, look, dad, I said, you know, you, you bought a house in Cambridge, you know, you're a boomer. So you've made loads of money on your house now, flog it and move to Lincoln. So he's then, he's now sold his house, moved up to me and now he's good, right? Now he's, he, you know, he's made money, made his money buying a house at the right time. Um, and he's now come up to, to kind of be closer to me. And yeah, he's honestly one of the most inspiring men. I mean, if you, I mean, he never remarried. Like he was just like, he says to me to this day, he's like, your mum was the one, like, I don't want to. Like no one's come closer. Um, so he raised me from seven, no, from six probably, and he raised my brother from like three, um, straight through to where we are now, like by himself, financed by himself. You know, 
So I got absolutely nothing but huge amounts of respect for, for him. He's absolutely smashed it. And like I said, it started my career off. Wow. Uh, clearly an amazing guy who you've got a lot of respect for. A number of founders talk about their, the impact on their careers from their formative years, about being around parents who own businesses and, and do their own startups, uh, starting that bug. What was it like being 16 and being around your dad starting out with, with his own business? To be completely frank to everyone listening, it was a disaster. It, it didn't work. But being the 16, 17-year-old, for some bizarre reason, I was shoehorned into doing a lot of the marketing. So, you know, when it came to designing things, there was no budget. So I had to learn how to do Photoshop. Uh, when it came to speaking to the web developers, my dad didn't even really understand what a website was. So I would speak to web developers. And at, at that point, I started really understanding what business was, um, the 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 people you had to work with to make it happen. But at this point, I wasn't a very confident individual. I mean, if I go right back through my whole school years, I was completely insecure. I would find it really, really hard to, you know, I could never be on a podcast. I could never speak on stage. I could never have done any of these things. I was a really insecure, shy, you know, typical young kid, I guess, um, with their insecurities. And then when I was about 17, having seen my dad kind of create this business, it not work or whatever, I just for some reason had got this sort of love all of a sudden for starting something from scratch. So I remember being 16, 17 uh, and just trying to learn how to to build websites terribly, of course. Um, but when you're 17 and you build something and you put it online, the feeling is incredible. And at that point, when I was kind of 17, I built a business called Adsa, which was um, adequately named Advertising's Answer. And it was essentially a crap website uh, that made me five pounds. And at that point, I realized that actually the most important aspect of business isn't the business itself. It's actually the marketing. It's actually how you get your brand and your message across. And at that point, I was 17 years old. All my friends are getting cars. Um, I wasn't from a particularly wealthy family. So I knew that if I wanted to get a car, I'd have to go out and make some money for myself. So I went and got a job at Halfords where I um, started being on the checkouts and then I kind of moved through to being head of the car set, car audio sales um, and selling a lot of the products on there. And then from that point, um, I just started random businesses. When I was about 18, I saw that there was a, a kid who was about seven who was making like four million quid a year on YouTube. Um, so I decided that the way to make millions was to start a YouTube channel. So I was there 17, 18 years old, recording how to remove car radios. And I recorded 150 videos of how to remove car radios. And I had about 15 to 20,000 views every single day. And then brands started getting in touch with me and saying, look, Pete, can we advertise on your channel? And then from that point, I started thinking, well, if brands are getting in touch with me to try and advertise on my channel, surely there's some credibility and some benefit of my channel. And at that point, I launched a business called Just Audio Shop, which was a car audio store. So those 15, 20,000 people every single day who watch my video could then buy products from my shop. And at that point, I completely, utterly fell in love with marketing. I knew that marketing is something I was really good at, building an audience, connecting with that audience, and then notoriously building a brand off that audience was something that we now know as influencer marketing. And, and I completely fell in love with it. Before talking about life for you at university and beyond, uh, which we'll touch upon later on, uh, what was your dad like when you were 16 and looking at YouTube um, and uh, recording videos? Did he put any pressure on you to take a certain direction? Uh, no, he, he was always, he, you know, he's always just kind of let me do my own thing. I remember when I was, I, I finished uh, school, uh, I went in. So you've got another thing you didn't remember, uh, think about is Cambridge is a posh place. 
Cambridge is the po- Cambridge is the posh place. Every time I say I'm from Cambridge, people are like, oh, you must be. This is why you're an entrepreneur. You've had a handout. Like Cambridge is a posh place, but there's also people in there who aren't. So a lot of my friends, like when I first went to get my car, right, I, I, I worked pretty much stupid hours to get my car. Like I would go to college and then work the evening and work the morning. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how I got my car. But like my friends were getting cars paid for by their parents. Uh, like I remember one of my mates got two cars because the first car he bought, he, it was six grand. He bought four PS for six grand. His parents paid for it, obviously, <laughs> as they do. Uh, and, um, you know, he found out it was category D. So his, his mum was like, oh, you can't drive that. I'm going to have to get you another one now. So he had two Ford Fiestas, the same colour, on his driveway, both five, six grand each. Right. And I was out there, like, trying to work outwards, you know, on 5.55 an hour to buy a two grand car because I wanted a two grand car because it wasn't a six grand car, but it wasn't a shit car. It was all right. So you've got to remember, like, you know, in all this sort of area, you know, you're around basically posh people to a degree. I mean, some of them were like me and just like trying to graft through life. But you're around posher people than I definitely am in Lincoln. Do you know what I mean? And, and you, you know, you're constantly trying to chase and catch up with them. And because of that, you know, I had to be an entrepreneur or I had to go and work because I couldn't get there any other way. Um, but anyway, so what happened was finished school, went to sixth form, and I wanted to go and be a pilot in the RAF. Um, I just thought it sounded cool, right? I thought it was really cool. So at 16, or whenever I finished school, I was like, I want to be an RAF pilot. So I went to the RAF. They have like an RAF like army thing in Cambridge. I went in there, met some guy. He told me how to become a pilot. And he said, to be a pilot, Pete, all you need to do is have two A-levels. Um, and, you know, then you, you process into the, uh, the kind of you know, the following stages. So I went into college and I, I took electronics, uh, business, maths, and history. Um, and I failed maths. It was so hard, man. Like, I, I got a B in maths at GC, but I literally, I was terrible at A-level. So I failed that AS level. I also failed at, uh, electronics at A-level. Uh, and then I had only two left. And I was like, I was sitting there thinking, well, that's chill, because the RAF man told me I only need two A-levels anyway. Uh, so I had business and history. Um, but to do a, uh, to stay in the second year of college, I need to pick up another AS level. Like, you can't just do two A-levels. So I picked up economics. So, I had, you know, so I was then studying AS and economics, a-level in, in business, A-level in history. Uh, and I passed all three of them, did all right. But it meant that I only had one AS level in um, economics. And um, for some reason, oh, yeah, so I did this business thing with my dad around this sort of time. I was starting this business with him. And I was like, you know what? I just want to go into business. I want to go to marketing. So I started looking at universities because I wanted to go down that route. And um, basically, no one would take me unless I had three A-levels. So then I took two years out while having my dad do his business, while doing my businesses and stuff. Um, working at Halfords to pay the bills. And um, I then turned the AS level in economics into an A level. And then I applied for the University of Lincoln and got in and did marketing. And that's kind of like the process. But my dad's never been like, you must do this, you have to do this. Um, he's almost always been very kind of fluid in what he what I want to do. Um, he, was, he was quite a strict parent growing up. Like, you know, he wouldn't like, have me like out drinking at 16, do you know what I mean? Or whatever the norm is these days for gen z but like he was very much like you know strict um wanting to know where i was but he absolutely allowed me to do you know the career path that i wanted to do um which i suppose is good because you know otherwise you get yourself forced down to a rabbit hole you turn you don't like it three years in and then you're at square square zero um so it allowed me to like decide what i want to do in the route i want to go down um and and at no point ever did he do the standard parent thing and be like Oh, Pete, is it time to go get a proper job? Like he never said that. Like he just he literally allowed me to go, allowed me to fail, allowed me to spend my um 
you know, my mom left me about a grand when she died and, uh, you know, I bought a laptop with it so I could edit videos, you know, and he never was like, oh, Pete, you should probably spend it on something else. He just let, let me do what I thought was right. Um, let me fail. Um, and, you know, it definitely rounded me into the person I am today. And buying that laptop uh, with, with your, the inheritance you got was probably the best purchase you could have made for, for your future career. Um, on a personal level, you, you know, you've de- dealt with challenges and trauma along the way, losing a parent. Can you remember much about that time and how that affected you? Uh, it's really it's really bizarre. Like my mem- First of all, my memory is not very good anyway. I think that's just, if you're a high fee a entrepreneur, I think everyone's got terrible memory because you're always into the next thing. So I've got terrible memory anyway. <laughs> but I don't, I, just, I don't really remember much about it. I, I remember seeing my mom getting, um, you know, getting a, like a, I got like a little, uh, little teddy from her before she died like a little car uh, and I remember my dad saying like oh like your mom's not coming home type thing uh, and 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 that's kind of you know I, I just kind of moved on like I, it sounds really bizarre but I I kept I, I remember really vi- I never said this before I remember really vividly um thinking like would I see this in the paper like my mom has died like mm. which, which paper is she going to be in and obviously now you know when you're older you know like thousands of people die every day right but at the time I was like why is it why is she not on the news do you know what I mean? Like, it's a big deal, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's crazy. It's a whole crazy experience. Um, it's not something you can really explain as a child. Like, you you know, you, you know you're back on the playground, you're seeing your friends, you know. Uh, and my dad just said, like, you know, when my mom died, he's like, you know, at that point, he said, I literally, he said, I, you know, I got the news. And he's like, and then I picked you both up from school and I had to parent. Like, he said, he genuinely said to me, like, I think it was like two years ago, he says to me, I still haven't had a chance to mourn because I've still, you know, since it happened, my main focus has been raising, raising you two. So I mean, he's like, I haven't had a chance to actually sit down and take it in. So yeah, it, it's a, I don't really know how to explain it. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few concerns I have, if I'm being completely frank, which is, you know, I've never really seen my dad with someone else. Therefore, does it make it more challenging for me to settle down and go on that path? Am I... Um, what's the word to use, more assertive, less emotional, because I haven't had that female connection through my whole childhood. These are all things I you know, think of on a daily basis, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, because you're always trying to become the best person you, you can be. But I don't know. I mean, my dad often says to me, he says, Pete, you can't operate your personal life as if it's a business, because I do that a lot. You know, I'm very much like, I'm, I try and take the emotion out of decisions. I try and think of them very rationally, like I would as a business person. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, it absolutely, like, there's no doubt on my mind that those things happening when I was so young have absolutely changed who I am as an individual and a, and a person. Um, like, and there's no doubt in my mind. Um, but, you know, um, we are who we are. We are where we are because of the things that happened to us in the past. Um, and you know you can't you can't beat yourself up over over these things. You just have to kind of soldier on and crack on. And it, it's probably the reason that I'm so bought into having business partners because you know I've always wanted someone next to me to fight the fights together. Um, I don't know. It's it's really you know I, I I love all this sort of stuff about emotional intelligence and um, going into people's like childhoods and why they are why they are. And no doubt, no doubt in my mind that I am where I am because of the things I've been through. And maybe if my mom didn't die when I was seven, I'd be like working as an accountant. I mean, like, who knows? Yeah, I mean, because I think a lot of parents um, of a certain generation would have seen their their kid 
their oldest kid, especially, uh, you know, mucking around on a YouTube channel, mucking around on a laptop, and it would be a case of, what are you doing with that? Why, why are you wasting your time on that laptop, uh, you know, making videos, go out and get a real job? And it uh, sounds like, uh, you, you know, your dad was, was not like that at all. No, I mean, you know, this, what ba- my day would basically look like would be, uh, let's say it was a Saturday, I would work at Halfords uh, in night all six, and I'd come back and I'd edit videos from like eight till one. Um, and I, you know, there's a, there's a, I've got a picture somewhere where I'm taking a picture because you know when you get, like, it's quite funny, I was saying to Brad the other day, I was like, when you first start out in business, you take pictures being like hustling, like I'm out, I'm working till 1am. So I've got like some of them pictures when I first started out. And like nowadays when like anyone who starts a business does that, I'm like, you'll be over that in two years when you realise that actually this is just what you have to do every day. Um, but yeah, so I've got pictures of like me with an iPad and, and an old laptop battered, plugged in, like working hard, sort of like caption. Um, so I remember that very vividly that my dad and my brother would be watching like the England football game in like the lounge and I'd be sat there, you know, with a pot noodle or whatever in the kitchen, like editing this video um, and, and kind of just trying to make make things happen. And, you know, you know um, I don't know, I just always had a love for it, man. I, I, the, the thing that I think is my biggest strength genuinely was I, I said at the start I didn't I didn't really answer it. I said at the start like you know I was really insecure and scared as a kid when I was growing up. Um, and I remember when I was uh, it would probably be sixteen, maybe seventeen, maybe eighteen. It was around that sort of era. Um, that car that I worked like so hard to get, um, I parked outside my my house and I went to the cinema with my mates and came back and someone had crashed into the side of it um, in a car and they'd left a note and obviously driven off. I wasn't there. Um, and I called the number. It was a fake phone number. Uh, and this was a car that I literally had probably worked nonstop for a year for uh, at Halfords, cost me two and a half grand. Um, and, you know, they, they gave me a fake number, drove and drove off. And I remember like, obviously crying, you know, being quite emotional because I, you know, I had to get my doors and my car sorted again. And um, I looked in the mirror. I was doing my teeth at night. I looked in the mirror and I've, I've taken the picture when before my dad moved house, I took a picture of this mirror because I was like, I'm, this is the story that I need to tell people in the future. And I looked in the mirror and I was doing my teeth and I just thought to myself, I no longer give a shit what people think about me. Like, I no longer care. Uh, I no longer believe that, um, you know, what people think about me is more important than what I think about myself. And genuinely speaking, the next day, uh, I had, you know, um, had this unsensed found confidence. Mm, it's, it's really interesting to hear the pivotal moment for you where you changed from the shy teenager to the confident individual you are today. Uh, if you looking back at that time in your life and looking at your teen years, what advice would you give to yourself? Do you remember, you might have the same scenario, like when I would, when I'd like come home, like, you know, upset or whatever, and my dad would be like, like, Pete, the cool kids don't stay cool for long. I don't know if you've ever heard, like, I don't know if your parents ever said that to you, Web. I don't know your situation, but, you know, my dad, very, like, a lot of the time would say, don't worry, Pete, the cool kids don't stay cool forever. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, like, and like now, when you actually look at the cool kids, like, I'm, I, funny thing ever, right? This happens, this happens to me. I got quite a lot of people unfriend me, um, like, I don't know, five years ago, maybe six years ago, um, who were the cool kids at school, like, unfriend me on Facebook or whatever. And um, one of them, because uh, he obviously didn't friend me, he like, couldn't message me on Facebook. He literally messaged me on LinkedIn for a job. <laughs> and this was like the cool kid at school who was a dick, who like bullied a lot of people. Like obviously unfriended me because I was probably trying something or whatever. I don't know why he unfriended me. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, he asked for a job on LinkedIn. I think it's really interesting how things turn and, and situations change. 
And anyone who's young who's listening to this, you know, if, you, if you've got insecurity issues or anxiety issues, fix them, solve them, and you genuinely be unstoppable. Because when you've been through something that's a challenging time, and I'm not saying I wasn't particularly bullied at all, I wouldn't say that at all, but I was insecure. Uh, people were way more bullied than I was. I was just an insecure kid at school. But if you can fix that and be through some form of hard time, whether it be your parents have died or whether it be you're bullied at school or whether you had financial issues, whatever it may be, if you can fix your anxiety, self-awareness, la la issues and have been through some level of difficulty, I'll tell you right now, when you hit some form of difficulty when you're 24 years old and you don't have those um, anxiety or worry or self-confidence issues, it's pretty easy. Like it's pretty, like, like show me something that's harder than, uh, when I'm 27 and I don't really care about people's opinions then when I'm seven and I've lost my mom or when I'm 16 and I've you know had an egg cracked on my head or whatever it may be like, tell me something that's tell me something that's doing like easy so it just puts things into perspective I think and I think many people listen some people will be going for a hard time uh, or some people will be getting ready to start their business journey you know just just try, if you can fix that level of confidence um, you, you you know when you've got nothing to lose during the early stages of the 2010s, Peter went to the University of Lincoln, where he found himself going from side hustle to full-time role before he graduated. During this time at university, he met his long-term business partner, Bradley McKenney, and other future colleagues such as Tom Jacobs. During his first year at university, by using Snapchat, he would highlight to fellow students daily and weekly discounts that were in and around the university and stores. Making revenue with the use cases, he started making ripple effects with the brands looking to penetrate the student market and they started getting in touch with Peter. This then formed the start of the advertising agency known today as Distract. During these ventures at university, there was one constant and that was Bradley McKenney. Can you, can you remember when you sort of first met Bradley? Was it just, you know, eyes met across the room? What happened there? <laughs> no, so it's pretty cool. So when you go to university, I don't know if you've been, but you go onto Facebook group, like a marketing Facebook group, and you meet each other, don't you? Like you just get chatting with, oh, I'm doing marketing, yeah, I'm doing marketing, yeah, I'm doing advertising, yeah, I'm doing whatever. Uh, and you just add each other because you know you're going to see him in about three weeks' time. Uh, and I added Brad um, on there. And I remember the first lecture I went to, I was like, oh, I met you walking through the lecture. He was like, yeah. So I just went with him. And that's the first, like, one of the, I'd say probably one of the first 100 people I met at university, maybe one of the first 50 people I met. Um, and he's just a, you know, a, solid, a solid guy. And then I... Um, you know, we, we we weren't. I would say at the time we weren't. We didn't do everything together. Like you bump into him once a, once a week at a lecture or whatever. Uh, and then I went to become the president of the business society for second year. So you have to do this in first year. And I basically found a way to to rig the election. So um, <laughs> I didn't want to go and just stand and be like, "Hi guys, make me president." I realised that basically what happened was not many people voted uh, because who votes for the business society president? Who does that? It's boring. Um, but only members could vote. So I basically went out and I said, like, I want you to be my president. I want you to be my vice president. You to be my treasurer. You to be my marketing thing. You, you know, basically built a team of eight people and got them all to apply um, for the roles. And then we all just voted each other. Um, so I've been out and was like, oh, Tom, can you be the head of marketing? Brad, can you be the head of this? Uh, you know, Jess, can you be the head of this? Bianca, can you be the head of this? And I basically just chose people I knew were grafters to do each role. And then we all voted for each other. Um, and um, essentially at that point, um, I knew that I had, you know, some decent people that could could graft. And then obviously when you're working with someone uh, for a year um, doing that, you, you you learn more about them, you understand how they operate, how they work. Um, and yeah, that's how I met Brad and that's how I met Tom and that's how I met a lot of people. And then obviously 
um, when we graduated or whatever, I tried hiring Tom for ages. He worked for another agency. I think I did three job offers for him and he kept saying no. Uh, and then we got bigger than his, his agency he was at and he realized it wasn't just a, a university project anymore. Uh, it was actually making some, some decent money. And Tom now leading advertising at Distract. Having a partner or a couple of partners from the start for multiple different ventures, which we will talk about later, how have you found working so closely with uh, Bradley and Tom for so long? I really do believe that if you are going to go on this journey, you genuinely can't go on it alone. Like I, I'm such a big believer in business partners. So Brad, my business partner, met him at university. The moment I walked into university, I met him. Sound guy. He does everything that I can't do, but I do everything that he can't do. So I'm, I'm, I'm decent at public speaking. I could do a podcast, you know, all la la la. Uh, I'm a good salesman, etc. But he, he genuinely couldn't do any of that stuff. Um, he's very good at designing, you know, operations, building out teams, finance, that sort of stuff that I don't get involved with. Um, and I really believe that uh, it's pretty much impossible to have the growth curve that we're going through now without having someone that com- complements your skill set which is something that I completely disagreed with six years ago, right? Six years ago, I would sit there and go, you know, why would I give away X percent of my business? I can do it myself. I can hire out a service. But when you're going through a really shit time, which you will go through a shit time at some point, when you're going through a shit time, you need to have someone that can you know, come around to your place and be like, look, are you all right, mate? Or, uh, yeah, I completely understand what you're going through. Because as much as your parents and loved ones will say, I understand how you feel. Um, is there anything I can do for you? They do not understand what you're going through when it comes to entrepreneurship. Like they just don't. And having people that are, you know, on that journey with you that understands the ups and the downs far outweighs anything you could give away. Like genuinely speaking, you would happily, once you've started this journey, you'd happily give away half of what you have to have someone throughout that entrepreneurship path. And every single business that I get the opportunity to invest in or, or or go to, it always comes from me because I'm the face of the brand, right? I just by default get Brad in at the same time, by default. So when the mortgage company opportunity came up, uh, I did all the negotiations, you know, I got us in on the deal, I in, I put the, the cash in, and then I said, oh, by the way, this is Brad, uh, he's a business partner, he's on this deal as well, um, don't worry, I'll take it out of my split. Like, because I just truly believe that entrepreneurship is more of a team game than a solo game and if you believe if you think you can do it by yourself you will be hit you will at some point hit up against a, a brick wall and you won't find a way around it yeah it's, it's amazing you sort of built your, you built your company before even knowing that you were building your company how did you come up with the name distract so uh, at the time so uh, when we when i first started it um it was just me and um i would pay brad to be a freelance because brad could do everything i couldn't do so he could build a website he could design um, so I'd pay Brad as a freelancer to do the work. Um, and at the time, he was also freelancing for a company called Cheeky Imp. Um, and it kind of folded. It wasn't really a thing. So I messaged there because he was another university guy that was, that was doing that. I messaged him and said, hi, mate, can I, can I have your name Cheeky Imp? And he was like, no. I was like, well, can I have your logo? Then he was like, yeah, sure. So I called the company Chatty Imp to start with. Um, because Lincoln is, uh, not to bore you all with this, but Lincoln is predominantly around its cathedral, and uh, there's a story about its imp, and everyone in Lincoln loves imps, hence why the football club's called imps, like Lincoln City and the imps or whatever. I don't know, I don't know, no, some history, some bullshit. Anyway, so I called it, and then Chatty, because we focus on social media to start with, um, so we called it Chatty Imp. 
And then I got a few clients in, people started paying a decent amount. And then uh, Brad just turned around to me and said, you know, I don't want to be a freelancer, I want equity. Um, so we haggled over the equity for about 20 minutes. Um, that was all sorted. And then I would say probably two years in, maybe three years in, uh, we started getting a lot more, uh, lot more UK-based work. Um, and a lot of the clients were like, what's an imp and why is it chatty? Uh, and I was like, this isn't going to age well. Um, so Brad actually spent ages trying to convince me to, to, to rebrand. And I was like, look, no, we're, we're known really well for this name. Like, it's not rebrand. And he's like, Pete, you know, two, three years out of 10, 15 years is, is nothing. Let's change now. Um, so we, we bought the domain name Distract. Uh, I think it was about, about five grand. Um, and then we got the trademark, whatever. Uh, and we rebranded it um, to be called Distract, distract.co.uk. I think what's so interesting about your journey so far is that you've never been employed by anyone else except for at Halfords when you were 17. Why was university such a vital step for you to take that big step forward? Many people or many of the hype men on the Internet will say entrepreneurs don't go to university. University is just a way of getting debt. There's no real benefit of university. And the thing I'll say to that is. If you're going to university to do something like marketing, it's probably not the best place to go. I truly believe if you want to study something like marketing or advertising or business, you're probably better off going through an apprenticeship or just working your ass off. But the thing that I learned most about going to university was meeting people from all different backgrounds you'd never, ever meet before, opening conversations with individuals you'd never, ever see before. And the actual real win, the genuine win, was you can start a business every single week if you wanted to. And the great thing about being at university is you don't have to worry about paying your bills. You're getting that grant from the government for your rent. You're getting that payment for the university for your fees. And genuinely speaking, most people don't have to worry about putting food on the table. And when you're an entrepreneur who's got a business one year old, two years old, to have that relief of not having to put food on the table, it allows you to take bigger risks. When you were starting out, you were obviously a university student. How did you get your first client? How did that even come about? It's kind of you had a passion for marketing, and you were, and you you'd seen the effect of businesses and the the importance of brand through a couple of your kind of ventures during your teens and and maybe into your twenties, and then you just went right. Let let's start Chatty Imp, but it kind of just came about. Did you have a client already waiting, or did you have a client and then go, oh, actually? I want this to be more than just one client. I want two, three, four, five. How did, how did that happen? So you've got to remember that when wherever you are in business now is a, a series of steps. And um, the crazy thing is you don't actually know what step you're on uh, where you're currently standing. Like I don't even know if this is the final step. Like, is everything going to go bump tomorrow? Like, you don't know what step you're on. You don't know how far into your journey you are. So uh, looking back, it's, it's easy to, to, to see what step you're on. Uh, looking forward, it's very, very hard. So you've got to remember that uh, I think it was second year um snapchat was popping off at university i created this thing called snap discount where you could send i basically would send out a uh you know a, a coupon on snapchat to six thousand um university of lincoln students um and because of that i you know, had an audience i knew it would send traffic i knew it would work so i sent an email to the local milkshake company uh, and i said something along the line i'll have to find the email one day along the lines of i think your brand's really cool and i think i can help it um, and I basically you know, did a bit of waffle, got a meeting with him, was like, hi, mate, like we have this Snapchat account, you know, pay us a couple hundred quid, we'll do a prom- promotion. He was like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, we And I obviously, to get all the users, I just flyered, like, you know, like when you're at university, you have them, like people just flying for nightclubs. 
Oh, forever, everywhere, everywhere. They end up on the street everywhere and the wind blows and you get about 10 of them in your face. Yeah, I remember that well. So I, I paid my mates to fly for Snap Discount. So like rather than flying for a nightclub, they were flying for my Snapchat account. It was really, it was actually quite weird in reflection because some people, <laughs> my mate went to camp and was like, Pete, I'm handing these out to people to add Snap Discount, but people are thinking it's my personal Snapchat. <laughs> but anyway, beside the point. I got people handing these flyers out. We got six, seven thousand people, you know, uh, joining it, whatever. And it worked. It worked really well. And he was like, Pete, is there anything else you can do for me? And I was like, yeah, I can do your Facebook uh, marketing, your Twitter marketing, whatever. And then he started paying us, like, I think it was like 200 quid a month um, to do that. And then um, I went to some networking events, met this guy who in the county practice. He then started paying me 500 quid a month. And then I started going to more networking events and I started getting 200, 300, 400, 500 pound a month clients. Uh, and then, you know, when I graduated, um, our biggest client was probably five pound a month. Um, and then, um, you know, roll, roll forward, you know, you, you rebrand you up your skill set, you offer more services. So now rather than just doing social media, we now have a full service agency that does everything from PR to web, SEO, everything in between. Uh, and obviously you just, you just, you just level up, right. You know, you just keep growing uh, as a company and as a person. Um, and yeah, it's just a process and, and people forget that, you know, it's easy to watch, you know, Ben Francis from Gymshark and see, oh, he's, he's sold a few shirts. Now he's, you know, um, worth billions. It's very easy to see people like Steve Bartlett, you know, get 300 grand investment to launch their agency. Um, it's not very romantic when you see what the reality is, which is you don't get paid for a year and a half. You start with 200 pound a month clients, not 20 grand a month clients. Um, and you can't pay yourself. You're scared about rent and there's no support net that's the bit of entrepreneurship that no one no one sees that's the bit that is the reality though that most people out there who are starting a business have no investment have no support are probably scared about getting the next paycheck um so yeah um that's the reality of it and like i said it's easy looking back it's very very easy like i've reeled it off already you know from the from the football thing to the youtube thing to a few failed businesses to to snap discount to chat am to distract, to featured, to rippled executives, da, 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 da. you know, it's very easy to show that. But when you're there, like when you're actually at the chatty imp phase and you're like, fuck, I'm slogging myself here for 200 pounds a month. When you're there, it feels awful. Like I, 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 if I wasn't at university, I'd probably quit that. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask, how, how did you survive? So that's so, so you had a couple of years of the of chatty imp initial stage where, as you said, you had a kind of, I understand the sort of weird safety net of having maintenance grants, et cetera, when you're at university. But that first year out of university, that surely is terrifying. You've got to get pay rent. You've got or, or you know, maybe you move home and then you've got to live. You've got to and you had five employees at that point. Did you build it enough in that year and a half or two year period of time um, at university, which allowed you then to have? you know, some sort of security leaving uni or, or was that still an absolutely terrifying stage? Um, we've only ever made a loss one month and that was like 60 quid loss. Um, so we, we already built, we always built it defensively. But yeah, I mean, like if we started the business, not a university, there's no way we'd have been able to pay ourselves. Like I said, we went for a year not paying us up at all. And then we went through a year of paying ourselves, I think it was like six, 700 quid a month. You know, that's just not sustainable. Uh, for a long period of time and like I said you know it, it gets to the point when you start sitting there and going is it really worth it is it really worth not being able to go and do those things with my mates when I'm 23 or whatever it is is it or 25 probably is, you know is it worth it and um, 
I think half, and this is, you know, I, I often look deep into who I am as a person to try and realize like why I made these decisions and whatever. Uh, I think deep down, uh, I've been at university. I had sacrificed the whole of third year, which is the last year you get to spend with all your mates. Last year you can party. Last year, last year, I wasn't doing any of that. I'd sacrificed it all. Thanks for mates for really understanding because they knew what I was trying to do. But I sacrificed it all. Imagine if I sacrificed it all, then quit a year later. I imagine like being like, you know, what, what, so what happened in third year, Pete? Well, I started a business. Where's the business now? Well, if, you know, I, it wasn't making enough, so I quit. You know, like university is literally the best time of your life. Like it is incredible for so many reasons. Moving into the future, you're now using a lot of cash uh, to invest in companies and have continued to do so during the global pandemic. As a business, you've actually 10x. What, what are you investing in? What's your method? I'm a very simple investor when it comes to entrepreneurship, right? I will, you'll never see me, not until I'm you know, 35 or whatever, you'll never see me investing into some new, unique breakthrough app that's going to change the world. Like, you'll never see me do that. We invest under some basic principles. First and foremost is, is there demand for it in the market? Um, a good example would be an accountancy practice. There's demand in the market. People want accountants. Number two, is there a moat? A moat is something that stops people getting into that business model. So an accountancy practice would also fall into that because you need to be ACCA qualified to be able to start an accountancy practice. And three, how can we innovate on top of that layer? So how can we bring something unique to the table that can put us 1% better than the competition? And this is something I said on a podcast the other day is that all you have to do in business is be 1% better than the average and you win. Now, to put that into some basic context, if you're better than, if you're 1% better than the average football player, you won't even make it out. You won't even make it into non-league. Like you're going to play Sunday league for the rest of your life. But if you're 1% better than the other entrepreneurs in the game, congratulations, you're an entrepreneur. You've made it. And I think that's why I love business so much, because it doesn't take massive amounts of skill. Um, it, it just takes some tenacious hard work to make it. So some of the businesses we've invested in in the last two years have been as follows. Uh, a mortgage company, online only, mortgage company, fee free. So let's tick those boxes. Is there demand in the market? Yes, absolutely. People need mortgages. Is there a moat around it? Yep, you've got to be a mortgage a regulated FCCA, FCA approved mortgage broker. And three, how can we innovate on it? Online only, completely free at the point of delivery. Most mortgage brokers charge 400 quid for a mortgage. We get paid by the lender. So tick, 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 launch mortgage company. It's called ripple.co.uk. Next one, conveyancing. We were working with the largest, uh, the, the number one conveyancer on Trustpilot in the UK. They went into administration. We bought them out of administration in a, like a complete investment deal of six, worth six figures. Let's tick those boxes. Is it a hard business to get involved with? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to be a registered convey conveyancer. Can we innovate on top of it? Yes, absolutely, we can. We can make it online. We can make it innovative in levels of marketing. Then uh, also in lockdown, we uh, invested in a recruitment business. Ticks all three of those, those principles again. We've then just invested in a hair loss brand. So if you're losing hair, two sprays a day, in three months, your hair will come back. Ticks all those boxes. You've got to be pharm a pharmacy. You've got to be regulated. So we're constantly going through this process of investing in these businesses that have modes that we can innovate on that we can, um, we can, we can invest in. And, and that's our core principles. I think many people try and complicate 
their investments. Many people will go, oh, I want to create the next Facebook. Well, you've got absolutely no chance of competing in a game where Mark Zuckerberg can just start something with his billions of users. Um, and the other challenge many people have is they'll come up with a new innovative idea. Well, you don't even know if the market wants it. So you have to spend thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of pounds telling the market through marketing that they need and want your product. That's not a good use of funds. So we've just been very safe in our investments, not chasing that 100x, but chasing that 10x, building a good business, putting it to market and amplifying it. And every single one of the businesses we invest in, we hire an MD. So it's no longer my issue. I'm just the, I'm just the investor. I'm just overseeing the market, uh, which allows me to focus on what I do best, which is leading Disrupt. So we're recording this podcast in December 2020 during the global pandemic that we've all faced, COVID-19, hence why we're both at home rather in a studio. The pandemic has had detrimental effects on a number of industries, businesses, people. How's the pandemic affected your business, Distract, and also yourself? I want to clarify something. I was having a conversation literally about half an hour before getting this podcast. And someone in the office said, we have a few people in the office at the moment, but someone in the office said, I don't think the, 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 this COVID thing is the biggest pandemic we have in the UK. I think anxiety is the biggest pandemic we have in the UK. And it actually has a, we actually have an, an anxiety issue in the UK. And I really believe that one of the ways to become who you want to be, you know, grow as a person, is to genuinely try and figure out uh, how to solve your anxiety problem because everyone has one right? everyone has an anxiety problem you just have to figure out how you how you can override it right or figure out you know how you can process things differently because if you can solve this deep level of self-doubt or anxiety you then are a complete and utter free person like you can go and ask that girl out or that guy out on a date and not worry if you get rejected you can go out and start that business and not worry if you lose because you don't care people what people think about you. You can go out and pitch for that project and not worry about the rejection. You know, when you actually genuinely have that level of self-confidence, it frees you up to be able to try things you never would have tried before. And I really believe the only reason I am, you know, here we are now with maybe I think five businesses, I don't even know how many we've got anymore. We've got five businesses, is genuinely because I'm okay to start things in the public eye, tell my friends about them, and then 24 months later, I say, all right, boys, that failed. Like, I'm genuinely okay with that. Like, it doesn't even remotely, like, at all, in the slightest, bother me at all. And, and I think that all comes down from just having an honest conversation of, like, why am I insecure? Why, why am I scared to stand on stage? Why am I scared to have a, do that podcast? Why am I scared to ask that girl out on a date in the middle of town? I mean, like, these, like, why? Like, these are genuine things that people need to, like, why are you scared? Because normally... You're scared because of what people will think about you. And then it's the same thing of why do you want to go out and buy that uh, nice car? And normally that will fall down onto you because I want people to think I'm successful. And that's okay. it's okay to buy it on that belief. But you have to understand why you're buying it. Or you have to understand why you're insecure about it. Because when you answer those questions, you become a better, more rounded individual. Um, last question. Do you think business growth is a mindset or something that can be learned along the way? Both, I think. I think um, I think everything in life is a lesson and who you are is because of the things you've been through. So I could say in, in that sense, it's probably learned, so learned behavior. But I think that you have to have a certain level of mindset as well. Now, that mindset can come from things you've been through and can be learned. Um, 
But I think you have to really focus on, you know, like I've, you've probably heard me say many times, like I've checked myself, I look myself in the mirror, I ask myself these questions, you know, so that is definitely a mindset thing, but that mindset has probably come from going through lessons in life. Um, I do believe there's some natural traits entrepreneurs have to have, um, you know, you have to not be settled. Um, you know, like I have like a, probably a very minor, I wish, I mean, I've not been tested, but I can tell you from what I've read, I probably have some minor level of ADD or ADHD or something because, you know, I can't sit still. My knees are constantly tapping. My memory loss is terrible, you know, overly excitable. I run at shiny objects, you know? So, you know, I, you know, I think you've got to have some of these, these things. Um, but I think you, you can be a very good entrepreneur just from, 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 from creating a mindset through lessons. Um, but I think there are some things that are more beneficial than others. For example, Brad is a great entrepreneur. Um, however, he doesn't create the opportunities that I create. And I think that's because of my natural uh, traits uh, are just constantly trying to find new things, constantly try and find new opportunities, constantly meet new people, talking, 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 whereas his isn't, um, if that makes sense. So I think there's anyone can be an entrepreneur, but to be a certain entrepreneur, I think you need to have some natural, natural talents. After talking to Peter, I started to digest the philosophical approach Peter has to business and how he has overcome a number of challenges throughout his life and career to become successful and very self-aware of who he is, something he works on daily. It may be hard to realise the way Peter speaks, however, he's still young in his business and his life at the age of 27. We continued talking and there was so much that we didn't include in today's show, like the time an unnamed PLC took legal action against Peter twice. Peter is self-confessed a mediocre student and not the smartest. However, he shows how hard work and life intelligence can carry him to a successful career that still has a long way to go. You can find Peter at distract.co.uk and on Instagram as pwatto. Thank you so much for listening to today's show of Growth in Mind. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can get in touch with us about product and marketing services at airbyte.uk. This week's episode was produced by Alexi Buckingham with music by Ten Hands High. I am James Farnfield and you've been listening to Growth in Mind.